Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our newest member of the Device Talks podcast family. It's called Medtronic Talks. Our constant search to find new ways to bring you insights in the medtech industry led us to the fine, fine folks at Medtronic. They've agreed to make their senior leaders available to us and to you. In each episode, we'll discuss the opportunities and challenges facing one of medtech's clear leaders, so you'll have an inside view on what makes Medtronic go. We'll ask the questions, Medtronic will provide the answers, and our great network of sponsors makes it all possible. So sit back, hop on a treadmill, take the dog for a walk, whatever you do when you listen to a great podcast, and let's listen to how Medtronic is getting the job done. Let's go. Hey, everyone. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome to the Medtronic Talks podcast. It's great to have you here. We got to talk about neuromodulation. I love talking about neuromodulation. It's one of my first interests in medtech. I'll get into it in the podcast, but I got to speak with Dave Anderson. Dave is the president of the neuromodulation group at Medtronic. We talked about a lot of their uh, great efforts that are underway. Talked about deep brain stimulation, spinal cord stimulation, care guide, closed loop. We covered a lot of ground and I'm very, very grateful to Dave for his time. So I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation and this update on neuromodulation. But first, I'd like to bring in our sponsor, Elkham Silicones. First, I'm going to speak with Michael Goglier. Mike is a healthcare market manager at Elkham. Mike, tell us about Elkham Silicones. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks, Tom. I'm glad to be a part of the Medtronic Talks podcast and happy to be supporting this initiative. Elkim Silicones has been in business over 75 years, originally as Rowan Polanc, then Rhodia, then Blue Star, and now Elkim Silicones. We consolidated with Elkim, which is a silicon mining operation. With this acquisition and, and uh, integration, we became the number two leader in terms of capacity within silicones globally. As an integrated supplier, this means that we produce our own silicon metal, which is a key raw material in silicone production. I feel this is key to the, the medical device industry as it gives us security of supply and uh, offers peace of mind to our, our healthcare and medical device customers to ensure that you know, if product gets tight, they can rely on us for supply moving forward. In terms of the products we supply to the, the medical device market, we have our Silbione product offering, which consists of silicone LSRs, silicone HCRs or high consistency rubber, silicone RTVs, silicone adhesives as well as fluids and primers and other complementary products to support the med tech and healthcare industry. That's great. We'll learn more about Elcom a little later in the podcast from Mike and one of his colleagues. If you'd like to find out more on the web, go to elcom.com. That's E-L-K-E-M.com. Now let's begin our conversation. Well, Dave Anderson, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Great to be here. I'm excited to hear about the NeuroMed business. I'm kind of a, a NeuroMed nerd. I've always thought it was one of the cooler sectors in, in MedTech. I've covered NeuroPace, you know, back in the day. I think that was probably the yeah. first one. And uh, just the thought that you could do that to the human body and, and achieve therapeutic results. That's kind of the, the sci-fi stuff that you hope to get to someday with MedTech. So great. Uh, I'm looking forward to learning a, a lot. But first, let's learn a little bit about you. I always like to understand how people found their way into the, into the MedTech industry. Well, you know, it's an interesting one because um, engineering undergrad and as part of my undergrad needed to get an internship. And I remember a, a big decision, which was an internship between a med device company out kind of in the middle of nowhere or a defense company in San Diego on the beach. And as, 
as a uh, a 20 year old, that was a tough decision, but I was very motivated by the impact I could make in MedVice. And so I took that one and never looked back. I've been in MedTech ever since. That's that's amazing. So what was the, uh, what was the company? So uh, at the time it was advanced cardiovascular systems. Today it's Abbott vascular if you're familiar with the history, but yeah. Absolutely. So that was Fred Koshavi and yeah. uh, the group. That's that's great. As you're the second person I've interviewed from there in the last two weeks. So uh, yeah, that that uh, that's one of those companies that just has a great pedigree and, and gene pool. So uh, so let's talk a bit about uh, well well. Then how did you work your way to Medtronic? It wasn't through acquisitions then. This was uh, a deliberate move. Yeah, you know, interesting. Most of my career was competing against Medtronic. And, <laughs> So at, at one level, there's admiration. At another level, you know, being the challenger, you know, I wanted to beat Medtronic. Sure. But I always had tremendous respect that, you know, Medtronic made these markets. You know, they did the foundational work. And then as a challenger, you're just always trying to come in and can I do it better? You know, can I do it faster? Can I come up with, um, you know, improving outcomes somewhere? But um, I did have a point in my career where there was the opportunity, uh, really the reality of that my the role that I would have uh, needed to change. And so that gave me a chance to kind of reset and Medtronic uh, obviously was top of the list as, hey, mission driven, committed to the diseases that we're in. And you, as you said, somebody who's also a neurotech uh, geek, if you will, mm-hmm. there's no better place to be. So. so have you been in some form of neurotech your entire career? No, actually, most of my career was in cardiovascular. So beginning with advanced cardiovascular systems, then I kind of grew up through the arrhythmia management part of the business. Uh, I had a role in my career where I had all of our implantable technology at St. Jude Medical, which was both the cardiac rhythm management and the neuromodulation. And so that was really my entry point into Mm -hmm. neuromodulation. And how I look at it is there's just more problems still to solve and more opportunity and more unmet needs and diseases to treat. So I feel like, look, they're both still great, exciting areas, cardiovascular and um, neuroscience, but we have more work we can do in neuroscience. Tell me about your, uh, your operating unit. Yeah, so neuromodulation comprises three different businesses. So brain modulation, which is kind of self-explanatory, but mm-hmm. you know, all neural stimulation in the brain. Implantable pain, which includes both spinal cord stimulation today and our drug pump business. But you can think of it as any solution for pain that would be implantable. And interventional pain, which, which you can think of very simplistically as all of our pain therapies that are not implantable. So mm-hmm. that includes things like ablation, uh, kyphoplasty, but procedural intervention. So that's from a business lens. And then from a disease lens, the primary diseases are chronic pain, movement disorders, epilepsy, but we are in the midst of looking at new therapy alternatives as well. Let's back up and and talk a bit about the the state of Neuromed. I mean, it's, as I indicated, it's been, it's been part of MedTech for a long time, for decades. We're certainly have in in Medtronic longer than that for, for back into the seventies. Um, where are we in sort of the abilities of the technology that we have in, in, in Neuromed? Are we uh, at an inflection point where we're actually getting, getting some traction, getting some critical mass, and, and really seeing this as, as a widely adopted therapeutic uh, going forward? I think we're absolutely at an inflection point. We still have a lot to do for sure. adoption, but let's talk about the inflection point. So as you mentioned, you know, going back to the 70s for pain, going back to the 80s for uh, deep brain stimulation, you know, basically we took the electrical stimulation paradigm and moved it to neuroscience and neuromodulation. And the founding of those therapies, you know, our, our understanding was, you know, very early, of course. And mm-hmm. so we took some of the same types of therapeutic solutions like 
if you look at pacing, you're, you're pacing at a constant rate. And that was sort of our beginning of therapy for either spinal cord stimulation or deep brain stimulation. What's, what's the frequency that we're pinging at, if you will. But as you then look at over time, what we've been learning, I would say most of our innovation at Medtronic has been focused on making the platform better. So making the technology smaller, longer lasting, smarter, where that smarter part is leading to. So what we've been very focused on is adding things like sensing capability and sensors to our device mm -hmm. to understand the signals in the brain, to understand the signals of the nervous system. And with that is unlocked insights to being able to actually have therapies that are more adaptive, more unique, and we can get into those details. But that's where the inflection point I see is now is moving from sort of technology innovation to therapy innovation. Mm -hmm. And then as that therapy innovation becomes very personalized and improves outcomes, we can then think about what other diseases should we be treating with it? So that's kind of the arc of innovation as I see it is. Interesting. Founding the technology, making the technology better, making the therapy better, and then what else should we be treating with? So what does, help me understand, what does therapy innovation look like? Walk me through that again. Yeah, let's take it by disease. So if you look at deep brain stimulation as an example, again, there was research done, let's take Parkinson's disease, to figure out what's the right frequency to, in a sense, pump the brakes on the signals in your brain that are causing this movement disorder. And how do we best modulate that? We'll call it at a, at a single frequency. But... What we're doing now by we've added sensing capability, what we've been learning from some of our early research with adaptive DBS is that what a patient needs during motion is very different than what a patient needs during rest. And how can we adjust the therapy to actually match the movement the patient is undergoing such that we have a really personalized therapy? Mm -hmm. That's an example for deep brain stimulation. If you take um, spinal cord stimulation, if you kind of follow the space that the, the original history was finding this frequency and, and doing what's called paresthesia mapping, where you're looking at where the pain location is and being able to block the pain is the basic concept. But what we're learning is it's much more complex than that. And again, there is the adaptive reality of, you know, as a patient at rest, are they moving? And then there's the pain network itself, which we realize someone with chronic pain is continually getting that pain amplified. How do we reduce the network effect? How do we treat the underlying condition? So things like our DTM, which is multiple stimulation sites, multiple frequencies, is a smarter therapy. So how do you move into bringing this new technology, this new way of providing therapy into a, an area that doesn't may not use med tech at all, or certainly may not use this type of med tech. What is the challenge and what is sort of the indoctrination or the education process like to sell physicians on not only the therapeutic benefits, but also finding a way for this technology that's different than their pills or whatever else they may be giving, fitting that into the, the therapeutic stream? How, what is that like? And, it, and is that challenging? It is challenging. We're going to take a break from our conversation with Dave Anderson to bring in Elkham Silicones. I'm back here with Mike Goglia. Mike, tell me, how have silicon materials evolved to support neuromodulation development, and how does Elkham support the marketplace? Yeah, so since Elkim decided to join the, the biocompatible range of silicones for, for greater than 30-day implant devices back in 2014, 
we wanted to develop a line that was was focused on high performance and high quality materials to support the advancement in neuromodulation devices and, and medical devices in general. Many times device manufacturers will turn to legacy materials that are already in their portfolio. These may have performance and processing limitations that, that newer materials can solve. We really see neuromodulation as a, a great opportunity for higher performance materials to help advance the design of these devices as alternatives to medication, whether it be pain management, stroke treatment, brain stimulation, etc. We can offer high purity silicones for injection molding of various parts, uh, silicones for lead protection, and biocompatible adhesives to bond different substrates together. We truly try to have a consultative approach in our support of the healthcare industry and solve unmet needs that are out there for device designers. We are currently in the process of launching a low temperature cure adhesive to support bonding of substrates that have uh, temperature limitations, you know, battery packs or, or other plastics that can't handle high temperature. And uh, this was a direct development driven by customer interaction and supporting their end needs. We are also very close to launching a next generation conductive silicone polymer that could be a great advancement for neuromodulation devices and uh, offer some, some performance advantages that aren't available in the market today. Thanks, Mike. And now I'd like to bring in Bob Waite. Bob is the Global Business Manager of Healthcare at Elkham. Bob, Elkham is a global organization. How does it support multinational companies in their metal device development? Thanks, Tom. So at Elkham, we strive to be a a total solution provider. So that means we are not only providing innovative products, but also the support and services that go along with that. We're very fortunate to have very talented and diverse commercial, technical, and regulatory teams that are located strategically around the world. This enables us to support our customers however and wherever they may need it. For example, if we're working with an American-based medical device company that is looking to either manufacture or market their device in another region of the world, let's say Europe or or China, for example, we have uh, the ability to supply locally produced product as well as provide support from our local regulatory experts, whether that be dealing with requirements of the European MDR and or REACH or dealing with requirements of the NMPA in China. Well, thanks, Mike and Bob. And thank you, Elkham, for sponsoring this episode of Medtronic Talks. For more information about Elkham, go to elkem.com. What is that like? And and is that challenging? It is challenging. And there's, it's multifactorial. I'll pick a couple uh, that, that come to mind quickly. The first I'd say is evidence. So you need evidence that shows this outcome is going to be superior to um, other forms of treatment. So if you take our latest pain therapy, the, the DTM algorithm I shared with you, um, we were able to show that more than two thirds of patients had an 80% reduction in pain. And that then had a superiority approval from FDA. So the, the idea that, okay, I can reduce my pain by 80% for patients living with chronic pain, let's say if their only treatment prior was opioids, that kind of relief and being drug-free is just an incredible promise. Mm-hmm. That being said, they've had a long journey to get to that point, um, you know, trying steroids, trying injections, trying ablation, you know, they may have tried multiple interventions. And that's why to me, the second big piece is to be earlier in the care continuum. With yep. the and so a big addition to our strategy that we're focusing on is being earlier in the care continuum, having solutions early in the care continuum. So that in a sense, we're with that patient in their whole care journey. And we can help them decide when it's time to advance to another therapy. 
you hear a lot of different therapies that involve neuromodulation or, or ablation of nerves. And it's always pitched as sort of the, for the drug resistant case of this or that, like this, this has to be the, 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 the last gasp or the last attempt to, to help someone. Are we going to move into a spot where people are going to be given a choice? Like you can, you can have the stimulation therapy or you can take pharmaceuticals. Do you see this industry evolving to, to that point? The simple answer is yes. You know, it's, again, it takes a combination of evidence, time, and yep. for therapies to become less and less invasive. And that's another dimension we're working on is, you know, how do we both participate early in the care continuum, but even the devices we have, how do we make them smaller, easier to implant? And so our, our goal is to absolutely, if we take pain as an example, be the solution partner for patients that can reduce dependency on opioids, for example, as an alternative solution faster. And we think by both having better solutions like the, the DTM I mentioned, but also earlier solutions. So we're in that care journey with them that, that we can help that overall penetration. Do, what is your interaction like with patients? Is it similar to your diabetes business where someone gets one of your pumps and they're sort of connected to someone on your staff who helps them modulate, regulate, keep the thing running? Do you have that sort of ongoing relationship with patients? Is that the model you use? I would say it's sort of in between the diabetes model, which is very patient intensive, mm -hmm. and the cardiac rhythm model, which is not that intensive. Right, right. So um, we typically are very involved with initial programming, both in deep brain stimulation and spinal cord stimulation. So we have people working closely with patients to optimize that initial programming. The better we get at both smart systems that adapt and uh, systems where when that initial programming is giving them incredible relief, probably reduces the need to continue to interact frequently. Mm -hmm. But I'd say we have a history of interacting pretty frequently because it did require a technical professional to continually optimize when they're losing the efficacy of their, their treatment. If you're hiring people, what types of people make a good neurotech, neuromod team? Well, there's a core that I'll start with that you absolutely have to have, which has a combination of biomedical engineers, electrical engineers, mechanical, software. So that core is always true. If, it, if the question is more what's emerging as a newer need, exactly. data science, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, as we think about the future of our therapies will be more and more personalized, adaptive. Um, that's a combination of human intelligence and artificial intelligence. And so more of that skill set which is kind of a, a interface between data science and biomedical engineering. So that that's more where we're seeing a growing need and we expect that to continue. We'll still have the core that you need because we're a medical device that has all those uh, aspects to it. Let's talk a bit about your uh, your, your pipeline. Uh, you've had some some recent approvals. The, the FDA recently approved your, your Sensite directional lead system for, for DBS. Start with that. Tell us a bit about what that means for patients and for Medtronic. And then maybe we can go backwards a bit and talk about some other new products you're bringing on the market. Absolutely. So maybe I'll back up one step with that. And that is that our, our most recent offering before Sensite was what we call Percept. And it's our deep brain stimulator that has sensing capability. And we felt that's the key to really unlocking personalized therapy. So as we developed a directional lead system and ours is Sensite, um, competitors also have directional lead systems, but they're not designed to be compatible with sensing. So we knew we had to make a, a directional lead system that's also sensing enabled, which that's a little bit of a higher bar. 
Mm-hmm. So as we launch Sensite now, we have the really only sensing enabled system that also has this directional technology, which means it has more electrodes, can uh, can be more precise programming of where you're trying to direct the energy. And we've launched that in Europe recently, and we've just recently received approval in the US. So we're just now launching in the US. So we see it as an exciting invention inflection point where now we have sensing capability on the best technology platform that can help understand um, how we can make these smart algorithms of the future that personalize care. So is this a, with this counter, kind of, is it a closed loop system? Is that that, that capable of sensing? It's a, it's a great uh, leap there. And that's exactly what we're studying. So mm-hmm. we're in a clinical trial for closed loop capability. I can't yet claim it because we have to prove it with evidence, but the research indicates, and that's our intent is to have a closed loop system. Is having closed loop capabilities is what you need for neuromodulation really for these devices really to tend to themselves? It is. And we were doing that first with deep brain stimulation with the the Sensite plus Percept. We're doing it next with spinal cord stimulation. So what we call ECAPS, but it's a closed loop system for pain. And as we then do this and, and can prove that we have really superior outcomes and can adapt to all the patient's needs, our goal then kind of expands to be, again, what new therapy should we be focusing this on? So that's, that's how we see innovation is we've made the technology. Now let's improve the therapy. Let's make it closed loop. And then what should we be treating next? Interesting. So what are some other recent approvals that uh, we, should, we should know about and highlight? So another recent one is in the pain side, heard about DTM, we're kind of a year into that now, but we're still just continuing to show outstanding evidence. We had a, an approval of something called CareGuide Pro, which is a patient app. So I would put that in the category of making our systems easier to use. Mm-hmm. And so by having an app that can help navigate the care journey, and then ultimately that app, you, patients will feed in information of how their treatment's going, that helps close the loop as well, because you're getting real-time feedback, not just from the device, but from the patient. And then approval that is hot off the press, we just got it uh, an hour before we were talking, is a product called Vansa, which is our recharge-free system. Recharge-free basically is for, it's a system that enables it to be easier to use for patients that don't want, let's call it the burden or the hassle of, of charging. The reason why we've been more focused on rechargeable systems up until now is it gives you more options for your therapy. So this idea of therapy innovation, you have more higher energy consumption options when you can recharge the device. To be recharge free, you need to be more efficient in what therapies you use. But we think that's still an important category, one that our technology is not at the same level in the past. And with this approval, we'll have the the best technology in industry on a recharge free platform. And, and how long is the, the life of that battery? Roughly five years. It depends on energy usage. So if you use a higher energy um, therapy, it will be less. If you use a lower energy, it will be more. And what is that after five years? How is that? Uh, what does replacement look like? Basically, you only need to replace the battery, if you will, meaning mm-hmm. if the device, um, you already have the electrodes placed. So it, it's a simpler procedure than the initial implant. Are there other areas where you're seeking non-rechargeable technology to help bolster an existing product line? So we sh- I shared a little bit about for our latest approval and launch will be a recharge-free system, but we're also working on a next-gen rechargeable system. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that will have closed-loop therapy for spinal cord stimulation. So next year, you will see from us or submitting later this year, um, a product that 
has closed loop capability. And not only will it have closed loop capability, but it combines it with the best algorithms like DTM. Uh, if you're following the research out there, there's others that are working on closed loop, but with more antiquated therapy algorithms. We're going to be the only ones having a combination of closed loop and the most efficacious therapies as well. That's great. Well, let's uh, wrap up by look, looking forward a bit. You alluded at the top of the discussion that uh, you're you're looking at other therapy areas. I assume you're looking at other technologies. Where is this segment of, of medtech going? Neuromodulation is fundamentally utilizing the nervous system, treating diseases and restoring back to a normal state. That's that's the premise. And if you just think of that premise for a moment as an alternative to, let's say, a pharmacological therapy that has a whole body effect, neuromodulation has the potential for precision medicine, for personalized medicine, to really restore your body to the way it was designed. Now, if you think about that for a moment, we have today movement disorders, chronic pain. What I'll start with is where we're very... Um, adjacent clear areas. So if you take chronic pain, there's areas that today are not yet indicated like patients that are not eligible for surgery or patients with upper limb and neck pain mm -hmm. or patients with diabetes that have chronic pain. So these are areas that today we do not have labeling or reimbursement for, but with evidence can show that. And so we're under clinical trials in all of those spaces. So those would be examples of just really close adjacent spaces. As you think of whole entire disease areas and you look at other companies that are in neuromodulation, for example, there's, there's many opportunities that I won't yet share specifically because of confidentiality, but think of like inflammatory diseases, for example, and mm -hmm. there's patient, there's companies treating that with neuromodulation. It's, it's using the nervous system to reduce the inflammatory response. Um, or if you think of we're treating pain in diabetes patients, can we treat the underlying condition of diabetes? Can we improve glycemic control? Can we improve circulation? So where I'm going for a moment is if you think of the concept that you can use the nervous system to restore function, there is a lot of opportunity. And we're in the process right now of deciding where our next big bets will be. So I've shared with you where we absolutely are because it's adjacent, but we're exploring many others as well. And, and what does what would that what could that exploration lead to? Are you primarily looking to develop new technologies in house, or are you looking externally at the many startups? And and I guess we, we could use the is it we could can we use a bioelectronic medicine term? We haven't really exactly tested the right term. Yeah. <laughs> How do you differentiate between that and like traditional neuromedicine? Just a matter of having a new label, or is there a distinction? So the, the broadening the term to bioelectronic medicine helps those that are, let's say, coming more from a typical pharma disease background. Right. Think of it as this is actually trying to achieve the same effect, but it's using it electrically through the nervous system rather than chemically through a pharmacologic. So I think it's the, the simple answer is for those in the space, you could use them interchangeably. But when people think of neuromodulation, they think of it more of its history of, oh, okay, for for Parkinson's and for pain, rather than thinking, no, this is, that's just the beginnings of really a different way of treating disease. The other part of your question was about in-house versus um, mm -hmm. acquisitions. The simple answer is both. And, you know, we both build and buy, you know, in particular, when we look at it outside, we're looking for those that have, let's say, either advanced a clinical research area that we have not yet studied or perhaps they have a technology like a miniaturization technology or something that we do not yet have. And then what we'll tend to do is acquire that 
but then improve it. You know, so we have a lot of capabilities too. We have, for example, we think the best microelectronics capabilities, the best battery capability. So that's the, the buy mindset is where it, either it's a disease state we're not yet focused on or it's a technology we don't yet have. But then there's absolutely we're building too. And so as we assess these new therapies, we'll be doing both. Is it easier as a business head to acquire a new company? I guess it's kind of an operational nuts and bolts question, but how do you foresee going forward in being able to initiate a strategic acquisition of, of a reasonable size? Is yeah. there, are you feeling like the it's more streamlined than it had been, or does it feel similar or familiar to how it had been? Well, let me start a little bit at a higher level of how I think the new operating model helps us, and then I'll get it specific to MA. Sure. I think the biggest thing is the mindset. You know, so an example, acting boldly. You know, you look at our founders, they acted boldly. But sometimes an incumbent can stop acting boldly. They could start being a little more defensive and protecting rather than be bold. So even just the mindset shift to say, let's act boldly. To me, that really, I feel it's like a tailwind for these new therapies. Uh, there's no doubt we've talked about new therapies in the past and there might have been more resistance to it because it felt like we got to put our investment into protecting what we have versus something new. So just the idea of acting boldly as a new mantra is a big tailwind. Specific to M&A, you know, I look at it as we've already been, I think, of a mindset to move quickly on those that we need to. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that should be at least as good. It may actually offer advantages to being in a structure where we're, we're intentionally being bold and we're intentionally empowering businesses to, to take on these new opportunities. So I think it can only help, but I think on the MA side, I've never felt held back in the past. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the biggest shift is this mindset shift. Excellent. All right. Well, it's exciting stuff. You're, you've got a lot of great news. Thanks for breaking the Vanta news on the podcast. Although like you said, <laughs> I'm sure by the time this comes out, it will not, it would have already been broken, but still it's nice to get that, that thrill. And uh, thanks for, uh, for joining us on, on the podcast. Thank you, Tom. I really enjoyed it. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Once again, my name is Tom Salemi. I'm editorial director at Device Talks. Device Talks is the producer of the Medtronic Talks podcast and another podcast called Device Talks Weekly. You can go to devicetalks.com. You can check out our podcast, Device Talks Weekly, you can check out past episodes of the Mectronic Talks podcast. You can also learn about our other many great products, including our, uh, our 2002 schedule of in-person Device Talks meetings. We'd love to see you there as well. So once again, thank you for joining us on the Medtronic Talks podcast. Thanks to Medtronic for uh, working with us to make this happen. And of course, thanks to our sponsor, Elkham Silicons, for making it all possible. Tune in next time. We'll have another great episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast waiting for you.